This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to another amazing day here on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. If you want to reach out to the show, feel free to email info at theandrewshow.com. We've got a heck of a show for you today. There was a robust debate regarding um, House Bill 18 that would uh, ban municipalities, local governments, those types of places from uh, telling landlords they have to rent to people uh, if they take Section 8, that they can't discriminate based upon their source of income. That's what the local municipalities are passing. And House Bill 18 is a property rights bill saying, look, these landlords, you can't tell them they have to rent to anybody uh, because if they want to pick and choose who they want to rent to based upon the source of income, then they should have the right to do that because it's their property. But we'll be digging into that. Um, you know, there's an interesting situation going in Brandon Reed's old district, District 24, this special election that's worth digging into. But before we get into all of that, I want to reflect on a second on the New Hampshire primary that happened this week and how that affects Kentucky and how that affects something that Adams, our Secretary of State, had recently said to give you something a little bit to munch on. So obviously, Nikki Haley and Trump went up against each other in New Hampshire. It was Nikki Haley's best shot at being able to pull one over on Trump. She obviously did not win, uh, didn't come particularly close, but at the same time, that's probably the best she's going to perform and why. On top of the Republicans in New Hampshire already being a little more liberal than the rest of the state, New Hampshire is something called an open primary. See, here in Kentucky, you can only vote in the primary of the party if you were registered for that that party come January 1st. So if you want to vote in the Republican primary, you have to be a registered Republican as of January 1st of that year. Same thing, of course, for the Democrat Party. Now, these closed primaries, I'm a big supporter of. I know people who are independents, registered third party, or the more conservative Democrats that say, look, I always vote Republican. I'd rather vote in those primaries. Well, I got to tell you, I'm a big proponent of it because I don't see why people who are not themselves registered Republicans should get to decide who's representing the Republican Party come November. However, Adams, uh, Secretary of State, Michael Adams, who, ooh, by the way, is a consultant to Nikki Haley, uh, something to keep that in mind, um, paid consultant to Nikki Haley. Uh, anyways, he was asked recently by the Herald Leader about open primaries. Now, I talked about this on the show at the time, but I want to go back to what he said uh, because there's an interesting thing going on in northern Kentucky, uh, in Boone County, over an interesting race there over Steve Rawlings now open seat as he's running for the state Senate between Ed Massey and TJ Roberts. 
And so Adams, uh, a few weeks ago, when I asked about open primaries, he said this. He said, to be really blunt about it, I think it would take a pretty bad night in the Republican primaries for the legislature where incumbents get beat, specifically more moderate to center right Republican incumbents get beat like what you saw in 2022. I think over time, maybe not much time at all, you're going to begin to see the caucus in each chamber get a little more fringy. That can make things uncomfortable for leadership and the incumbents. I don't think the legislature will ever open up primaries because I asked them to. I think they might open it up for their own political benefit at some point. If you start to see more factionalism in the caucuses and more difficulty for leadership to keep people together on the same page. And he's right. Of course, that is exactly what the establishment will do. The establishment, those in control will change the rules however they need to in order to stay in control, in order to maintain power. And he's also right that the Republican Party or he's he's pointing out the fact that the Republican Party is going through a bit of a crisis right now. Now, he calls these people fringy. I call them conservative. I call them Republicans. And I call these people the establishment that don't really stand for much at all. I mean, they are. I, I ask you this. OK, let's take a look at some of these establishment you know, uh, 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 rhino, some people call them Republicans. I'm talking about the Mitch McConnell. I'm talking about, um, you know, the, the, the Liz Cheney's, but if you go here more locally, I'm talking about people like, um, Michael Meredith in our state house, Winnie Westfield in our state Senate, Timoney, Tamara Heverin, um, you know, etc. those types of representatives that, I mean, what is the difference between what they believe and how they vote now and a Democrat 20 years ago? In some ways, they're a lot more liberal. I mean, Timoney, for an example, will, uh, uh, you know, stand up there and defend that parents should be able to chop off the the body parts of their minor kids and call that mental health treatment. So, you know, disfiguring children and and saying that's a mental health treatment. You know, he'll he'll. Uh, defend giving chemicals to minors that affect their ability to procreate well into the future and say, well, that's just good mental health because, of course, he has bought into this leftist lie. There's not much difference between what they think. Actually, they're more liberal now than even people like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton were mid-1990s or even early 2000s, even just 20 years ago. There's no difference. And that tells you exactly because we can see the path they took that tells you exactly what path we can expect from these so-called Republicans that uh, uh, you know are falling for these more liberal things. And the reasons why they fall for it is because they buy into the lie, two lies. First, they buy into the lie that government is there to solve your problems. When they hear about a person's problem, they're unable to look at them and say, wow, I can help you personally, but that really isn't government's role. And and later on in this show today, when we start talking about that House Bill 18, we're going to be digging more so into that. Of course, we'll be digging deep into that, but they're unable to say that. They They can't. They can't say, look, I can't solve your problems. They think they have to. On top of that, they buy into these leftist lies about being, oh, you just, you got to be nice and, and, and friendly to everybody. You can't speak truth. You can't offend people. This natural, and, and that, keep in mind that running for elected politics naturally draws in people who are, are, 
I mean, they're some of the most, I don't want to say vainest people, but I mean, how many popularity contests do you have to win and have to be put into before you start to worry about being popular with every single person and leaving your principles behind? I mean, it's just the fact of the matter. So these, these super establishment conservative, not conservatives, but super establishment Republicans are, are certainly starting to lament the fact that they're getting a taste of their own medicine because they have used, uh, you know, these types of actions and trickery and what have you and use the party in order to go after those who they believe, as Adam says, are fringy. But now that more conservative Republicans are getting more, quote unquote, control of their local and county parties, uh, Republican parties, we're starting to th- see things like um, in the Ed Massey versus TJ Roberts primary in Northern Kentucky, the Boone County Republican Party actually censured, came out and censured Ed Massey, calling him out for the liberal Republican he is, referencing some of his history and record uh, in order to draw out just the kind of person he is. So we'll be going over that resolution that they put forward after the break and then Ed Massey's response to it. But also the issue going on in District 24, Brandon Reed's old seat, where we have an establishment Republican uh, members of the party uh, really one they're making a big mistake I'll go over why and then two uh, trying to do the same thing while while uh, lamenting what's going on in northern Kentucky so we'll have all that and more after this a short break you're listening to the Andrew Cooper writer show your source for Kentucky politics want to reach out to the show feel free to email info at the show.com once again that's info at the show.com we'll see you after this short break this episode is brought to you by Shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. We've got some interesting developments coming out of some election news coming into the primary season. You know, first, we're going to go ahead and turn (laughs) towards District 66 in northern Kentucky. Now, Steve Rawlings, the current office holder, is running for Schickel's Senate seat. Schickel is stepping down. So uh, he is giving up his House seat to take a stab there at that Senate race, leaving House District 66 open, where Ed Massey, who held the uh, seat for some time before he was actually beat in a primary by Rawlings, is going up against T.J. Roberts. He's a more so a member of the conservative Liberty Wing, certainly than Ed Massey is. Ed Massey is uh, more the member of the Timony, Samara Heaven, uh, Meredith, Merediths, both Merediths, you know, uh, um, you know, Whitney Westerfield wing of the Republican Party here. Look, and I, and I know as I say these names, a lot of you listening probably don't keep too much track of your state politics all the time. But all those people are very Liz Cheney-esque, Mitt Romney-esque Republicans. And Ed Massey falls right in with them. And 
So Ed Massey got censured by the Boone County Republican Party in that primary, basically saying that Ed Massey is not a good conservative. And here's what the censure had to say. It says, whereas Ed Massey is donated to Hillary Clinton for president, Jack Conway for Senate against Rand Paul and Ben Chandler for Congress, all left wing Democrats running against conservative Republicans. Whereas Ed Massey has used his 2024 campaign to attack Boone County Republican Party and conservatives across Boone County, whereas Ed Massey voted against school choice, voted to give $35 million to an abortion clinic, and voted against impeaching radical left-wing Governor Andy Bashir. Whereas Ed Massey introduced legislation to double the tax on gasoline, voted to establish a critical race theory commission, and publicly oppose religious liberty against forced vaccinations. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Boone County Republican Party censures Ed Massey for his long-standing support for left-wing politics, politicians, and policies, and further call upon Ed Massey to either represent the Republican platform or leave the Republican Party. Adopted this the 22nd day of January 20. 24th, a regular meeting of the Boone County, Kentucky Republican Party. And then they also provide the references to uh, the things they cite. They provided receipts, as the as the kids say, to the accusations. Um, and obviously, it's a pretty big blow there in that district. The Boone County Republican Party is very much so tied in with the grassroots. When I was running for uh, state treasurer, I won Boone County because the grassroots there is so influential in the Republican Party. Uh, it certainly will be an uphill battle for Ed Massey. I know he's getting some support, some money from people like... Um, Kelly Craft and others, but you know, it's a diminishing rate of returns when it comes to these house races. And, and, and those of you who've listened to the show for a long time have listened to my analysis on elections knows that, you know, money, I, I believe money can do a lot, especially in very large areas. But in these house seats, you're talking about maybe three, 4,000 people on the high side showing up to vote in these primaries. It's a diminishing rate of return because at the end of the day, you know, it's about the message you can get out when you're sending a, a mailer to 4,000 households is only three, 3,500 bucks, maybe four grand on the high side. So, you know, for $4,000, you can get a message out to every single voter in the district. And if you have a superior message to your opponent, their money won't necessarily mean a lot, especially too, if you have a group of people going out there willing to knock the doors. And it appears that Boone County does have that. Now, in other election news, you've got an interesting, really interesting situation going on in Brandon Reed's uh, old district, District 24. So Brandon Reed held that seat. And he uh, has left in order to join, I believe, Jonathan Shell's administration, leaving District 24 vacant. But District 24 right now has a primary going on for the regular election, but a special election has been called in that district. So two months before the primary will be a general election between a Democrat and a Republican to pick who will fill the seat from March through the end of the year uh, in order to represent the district. And the process for picking who runs representing the Republicans and the Democrats for this uh, is a very interesting process. So basically, they look at the amount of registered Republicans in the district, and they look at it by county. So this district uh, crosses three counties. It crosses, uh, what is it? Um, it crosses uh, Hart, LaRue, and I believe it's Green County. So Hart, LaRue, and Green County. 
And through those county districts, they look at how many registered Republicans are in each county. And then the county party members that show up to vote uh, at the special election meeting, they then have their votes weighted based upon the number of elected or, or registered Republicans within the district. So let's say Hart, LaRue, and Green all have 5,000 registered Republicans in each of them. And so... When people show up, if 10 people show up from every district, uh, from every county to vote in the special election, it's an inter-party thing, then their votes are all worth the same amount. But if five people show up from, let's say, Hart County, and then 10 people from LaRue and 10 people from Green, well, two Green County votes is worth the same as one person from Hart. So it's a mix of registered uh, Republicans in the district and then who shows up to vote and how that is weighted and spread apart. Now, here's where it gets real interesting. So in the primary for this race, you would have, so you'd say, well, this is uh, 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 an interesting situation because you have an active primary going on uh, there two months after the general election for that special, you know, in May, there's a primary for this position. So if we, if we typically, you'd probably see a party where both people running in the primary file for the seat uh, in the special, and then the parties would pick between the two of who they want to vote for. But here's where it gets very, very interesting. So Asa um, Wagner is one of the people running in the primary, and then there's another gentleman who's a soybean uh, farmer who's running who's more so the uh, quote-unquote establishment pick right he's he's the guy that the establishment uh wants to get uh in there and so you have asa wagner uh running against the establishment pick for that seat in the primary but asa wagner is actually not at this very moment old enough to hold that office so the the qualifications so there's an age qualification uh to hold every seat i, I know you have to be at least 30 uh at the time of taking office to run for state senate or state treasurer but that's at the time of taking office and so if your birthday to turn 30 is before the inauguration day you're good to go but for Asa, his birthday, where he would turn old enough to hold a house seat, is not uh, is before he would take office through a normal election, but is not is not uh, before the general election for the special election. So therefore, Asa does not qualify to be able to run in the special election, which gives a pretty interesting. Um, Opportunity because Ryan Bivens, the other person running, does not enjoy uh, as much support from the local parties, or at least Asa Wagner enjoys at least 50%, if not more, of the support from the local parties. So the local parties now are in an interesting situation because if they uh, go ahead and put Bevins, Bivens into the seat, give him the special, well, then that would uh, obviously give him a advantage going into that primary. Uh, that's two months later because everybody would have just seen him on a ballot. And then you have uh, um, a situation, too, where uh, that would tip in his favor. It, get, it just gets really interesting. And so my suggestion would be is that the parties there should end up electing uh, for the special a person who's not on the ballot for the primary. Simply because, one, you're not 
quote unquote, tipping the scales too much, alienating yourself from either one. But two, if there's so many members of the party that are going to support ASA, see, in a special election, it's all about turnout. And so these county parties are going to have to get involved in getting people out to the polls for that special election. But if over half of the members of the county parties don't support ASA, it's kind of weird if Bevins ends up being the choice for them to be knocking doors one day for Bivens to, to say, go vote for him in a special. Then two months later, or a month later, be knocking your door to tell you, go vote for Asa Wagner in that uh, primary election. That's a month or two later. So obviously uh, the smart thing to do would be to make sure you put somebody in there who isn't going to be on the ballot. Because you don't want, in this special election, you don't want to alienate any of the volunteers to help get people out. And I, I just, uh, spades a spade. If you support, if you're a party member and you support ASA for that position, you're not going to knock doors as much and worry about turning out as many people for that special election because you don't want to campaign for his opponent a month or two before ASA is on the ballot. Period. And so the smart thing to do would be to elect, uh, of course, a individual that isn't going to be on the ballot. There is somebody, uh, uh, Courtney um, is her first name. Courtney, I um, can't remember her last Gilbert. Uh, she's Adrian Southworth, Senator's sister. She ran for that seat against Reed two years ago. So she does know the district has campaigned in the district before is a known name, but she isn't on the ballot come May. Perfect choice, I think, in order to hold that seat, in order to keep the party together, make sure a Democrat doesn't get that seat, while at the same time uh, providing a good and even primary in May. Well, coming up after this, um, some interesting uh, debate broke out on the House floor over House Bill 18. We'll be going into that after this break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. If ever you needed evidence that the Democrats of Kentucky truly, truly hate your country, hate our country, and hate everything it was founded on, you need but only have paid attention to the House floor debate on House Bill 18 that happened in the Kentucky legislature. That's that's where you only needed to pay attention to that. Because I I tell you what, y'all, I tell you what, y'all, it was absolutely never more obvious that they truly hate the very ideas behind our country. Because what was our country founded on, right? Right to life and liberty and a pursuit of happiness, which is also known as property. I mean, property rights were a big thing. Actually, property rights were like one of the main things, the rights to your own property without unfair taxation and so on and so forth. That was like a, a pretty big one. That was a pretty big one. But yet, despite that, Democrats are making it very clear that they hate property rights. They hate freedom. And they, they think that, uh, you know, rights mean something a little bit different than you and I. Um, you know, and this isn't uncommon, obviously. They take, you know, things like a right to liberty to mean, oh, the right to do whatever you want, ignoring our founders' framing, because, of course, they meant liberty in kind of the same way that biblically, if you read the Bible, it talks about what is liberty, and liberty is, of, is it, there's no liberty in doing whatever you want with no consequences. That's, that's not liberty. Liberty is freeing yourself from your even your own animal 
animalistic instincts in order to live the kind of life that is fulfilling and giving to the next generations. Um, but that's besides the point. We don't need to go down that philosophical path. But here's the point. So um, Representative Dotson, uh, he put forward a bill in order to ban the use, ban ordinate, ban local like governments, so county fiscal courts uh, or city councils, from passing laws, ordinances that require private landlords to rent to people regardless of their source of income. And what they mean by that is government voucher system. So we're talking about things like Section 8 here. And so basically, uh, these local municipalities, Louisville, some in northern Kentucky, and Lexington is considering one right now, have been passing these ordinances to say that the um, landlords in their cities cannot discriminate against people based upon their source of, of funds to pay the rent. So basically, if they've got a Section 8 voucher, you can't say, nope, I'm not renting to anybody who has Section 8. That's what these laws are saying. And so House Bill 18 is pretty simple and forward. It, it, I'll read it to you. It's not very long. Um, in its entirety of the section that matters to what we're discussing here says uh, this right here. A city, county, charter, county government, urban county government, consolidated local government, or unified local government shall not adopt or enforce an ordinance or regulation that prohibits any owner, leasee, subleasee, assignee, managing agent, or other person having the authority to lease, sublease, or rent a housing accommodation from refusing to lease or rent the housing accommodation to any person when the person's lawful source of income to pay rent includes funding from a federal housing assistance program. This is a basic property rights deal. And I, and I get it. There's people out there in Section 8, they're having a hard time founding housing. There's people out there that you know are looking at the rental markets. But this idea of hating landlords is very, very common for Democrats, especially because one, they think landlords are giant corporations. Most of the time, they're people that own two or three rental properties. And also they, you know, they, they, they hate property rights in general. They hate property rights. I mean, you have the right in this country because you have the right to your property, right to the fruits of your labor. If you want to go buy a house and not give it to anybody and just let it lay there vacant, you have the right to do that because you earned your money, fruits of your labor. You can purchase whatever property you want with that labor uh, from whoever currently owns it with an agreed upon price and contract. And then you should be able to pretty much do whatever you want with that property as long as you're not causing damages to uh, uh, the environment or the quote unquote community of others who are causing fiscal damages. So what I mean by that, of course, is, you know, there's property rights arguments about, uh, you know, like I, I talked about killing deer on your property um, and how that's a, a natural resource that an entire herd is being managed and that by you just indiscriminately constantly killing deer on your property, you're taking resources away from your properties that are next door. So you're infringing in a way on their resources and rights to that as well. So, you know, that's um, that's a greater debate. But th the point is, is you own property, you own a house, you should be able to do whatever you want that house you should be able to rent it to whoever you want with that house but this this doesn't roll so well with the democrats and as obvious as this we turn to um the floor debate so dodson puts forward this this bill this house bill 18 and uh to start us off on the debate um we have uh, <laughs> the first question comes from a josie raymond um Let's hear what her top of the line first question from Democrat is. Let's hear it. Sponsor, 
under the same um, thinking behind House Bill 18, do you think it could justify the idea that this body could overrule the 24 Kentucky cities with a fairness ordinance right now, which bars employment and housing discrimination Lady for Jefferson LGBTQ 41, people? That, that question is not relevant to the, to the subject at hand. So first off, uh, yeah, it is not relevant to the subject at hand. We're talking about property rights, not uh, association rights, freedom of association. That's your First Amendment, uh, freedom of association. Your property rights fall into some of the other amendments like, uh, you know, the you know, takings clause of the, the, uh, was it fourth, fifth amendment, you know, those types of things that the right to be secure in your property. Um, no, but there we're talking about freedom of association. That's a first amendment concern. And I know nobody wants to say it, so I'll say it. Um, but, uh, that ordinance is also unconstitutional because here's the thing. Her defense is, uh, this is Josie Raymond, um, her defense is, is, is her reason to be against this bill is you're coming in and saying that these municipalities can't pass ordinances banning discrimination based upon income. So could you now also uh, ban their ability to pass ordinances based upon, you know, discriminating against LGBTQ people? To which I say, um, though, yeah, those are unconstitutional too. I, I'll say it. I know I, I'm not running for office ever again, so I can say these things, but I understand elected a person can't, but when you read the first amendment in its plain language, it says you have a freedom of association. You have the freedom to do business with whomever you choose and the government shall not compel you to do business, to give your property, to sell your property, to lease your property, to do anything with the fruits of your labor you do not want to do. What's this mean? This means in the ugly world of actual real freedom and liberty of decision-making, if you want to be a racist piece of trash, you have the right to be, but I also have the right to not do business with you because you're a racist piece of trash. And if you don't want to rent out your home to uh, a couple of gay couples because, well, you don't believe in that lifestyle and you it goes against your religious beliefs to provide housing to them because you're saying, look, you, you can live here individually, but I'm not going to provide housing to a gay married couple or a gay couple at all because I believe that sinful behavior. And by providing you a place to engage in that sinful behavior, I am going against my religious beliefs. Now, you may disagree with that hearing that. Um, but I, I challenge you to really think about what I just said there, but I think you should have the right to do that because I believe you have a constitutional right to your property. As I said, you could just lease it to nobody. How about that? Is that what they want? You, you did not give it to anybody, you buy up all the houses and then lease it to nobody. Is that what they want? Of course not. So I'll say the hard thing. I know nobody else will. I mean, I, 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 I know that Republicans in office aren't going to say, yeah, uh, they shouldn't, um, have passed those ordinances either, but you know, and I can't blame them. Look, they got to run for office again. I don't. Um, so, uh, but coming up after this, we'll have a few more outtakes from this floor debate. Um, good on the house speaker though, for saying this has nothing to do with this bill, which it doesn't. Um, but you know, leave it to a Democrat to immediately try to be like, how can we bring the gays into this argument? Can we bring the gays in? Because they're our favorite victim group right now. But uh, we'll talk more about this after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. 
And you are back with the Andrew Kuberider Show. Before the break, we've been digging into House Bill 18 by Representative Dotson and the Democrats' arguments against it, really showing how much they hate the very principles America was founded upon. We went over the first clip. Now let's go into uh, the second clip here. It's the same representative as before, Josie Raymond. Let's hear what her other arguments are against this bill. This bill would override an ordinance passed by Louisville's Metro Council in 2020. It passed, and this is vital, it passed unanimously, 24 to 0, with Republican and Democratic support. While my city and others are being told to solve homelessness, we're not being given the resources we need to do it by the General Assembly. The first draft of the House budget includes zero dollars for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. I'm going to tell you what's vital, Josie. Let me tell you what's vital. Here's, here's, here's what's vital. Uh, what's vital is you understand the constitutional right to property. You understand basic tenets of rights because it doesn't matter, Josie, if 99.9999999% of Kentucky, if every single other person of Kentucky votes to take away my stuff it's still mine and i still have a constitutional right to it that's what the constitution is for it's not about it doesn't matter whether your local government's stepping on your throat your state government's stepping on your throat your federal government's stepping on your throat it doesn't matter whose boot you're under if they're violating your rights, no matter how local that boot may be, they should be unable to do so. I don't care who's treading on me. Local, state, federal, it doesn't matter. I still have my constitutional rights, despite what the majority may say. But of course, that is something Josie hates. She hates that fact. Because to her, it's vital. That a group of 24 people voted to take away somebody else's property rights. That's vital for you to understand. It's not vital for her to read and understand our constitutional rights. It's not vital to any of these Democrats to read and understand them. And also, they're stupid. I mean, she literally, in that same argument, as making it clear she is ignorant and or just doesn't care about the Constitution. In that same clip, she also betrays the fact that she believes you solve homelessness by giving people homes. If it was that easy, Josie, California would have solved homelessness a long time ago. They've spent literally billions of dollars, billions of dollars on homelessness, and it isn't fixed. But of course, leave it to a bunch of children who don't understand things like what belongs to somebody else is somebody else, who doesn't under things, understand things like you have no right to somebody else's property. Leave it to those children to think that people are just homeless because they don't have a home. And that's all we need to solve it. Leave it to them. Bunch of just... I, I, you, at one point, you think it's incompetence. At another point, you wonder if it's malice. I mean, you just you just do. But moving on, um, so a few Democrats made the same argument that you're just discriminating against people who get Section 8 for no reason. They, they, they kept making this argument. They said, well, you know, you, you're, just, you're just discriminating against these people because of, you know, things like, uh, you know, what, what, what are they called? Uh, stigmas. There's a stigma. You know, you're, you're just 
you're just following a stigma to discriminate against people getting Section 8. Uh, there's nothing wrong with people who are getting Section 8. This was repeated several times. Well, we didn't have to get a Republican, though, to argue back. No, no, not at all. Because Rachel Rourke, a newly elected state house rep from Louisville, Democrat, decided to provide the argument for Republicans and pointing out why this is such a big deal with uh, her statement here. It is unfair that my district in Louisville, in the south end, the southwest part of Louisville, has to shoulder the disproportionate impact of all Section 8 vouchers being concentrated into my part of town and other parts of town with more affordable housing units. What's, uh, what's unfair about it? I mean, you just said it's unfair that my district has to shoulder the burden of Section 8 housing. Well, if if the, Section 8 and, and, and landlords just not renting to them is about, you know, just stigmas and people wanting to discriminate against poor people. And it's not about how they actually cause issues for the landlords. I'm sure individually there may be in, there's probably great individuals who get Section 8 housing. But when you look at an entire group's behavior, you have to make educated decisions about who you're trusting with your property. That's basic. And so they say there's nothing wrong with Section 8 housing while at the same time they say it's unfair. It's unfair that we have to shoulder all of the burden it's unfair we have to shoulder the burden what burden i thought section 8 ain't a problem what are you so burdened by rachel rourke well what's your district's problem apparently you love these you should just be opening your wide open arms to them not a problem what's um, and talk about fair it's unfair we have to shoulder a burden get over it stop being a child bunch of children that's what they are bunch of children Anyways, uh, moving on. We then have Susan Stalker, representative here, also from Louisville, uh, doing the old classic Democrat, uh, the bill isn't needed, but somehow the bill is also a problem. Um, you know, we're not really doing this, but, uh, you know, we're doing it, but we're not doing it. So why do you need to pass this bill? Let's listen to what she had to say. What we are asking for is to not use source of income to discriminate solely. What also has been said is that this is forces landlords to rent to anyone with a federal housing voucher. You yourself said that you had applied um, to be part of that program, the Housing Choice Voucher Program, and, and that's exactly an, an important point that needs to be made. You have to apply. You have to say, I would like to participate in this program. No one is forcing you to participate in a program unless you voluntarily say, I would like to be part of the solution. So let's go over what this bill says again, very clearly. Okay, this is the part they're talking about. Once again, going to go through it here. Um, City, county, charter, county, government, urban county, government, consolidated local government, unified local government shall not adopt or enforce an ordinance or regulation that prohibits any owner, leasee, subleasee, assignee, managing agent, or other person having the authority to lease, sublease, or rent a housing accommodation from refusing to lease or rent the housing accommodation to any person when the person's lawful source of income to pay rent includes funding from a federal housing assistance program. So if no one is forcing you in Louisville's law, if it's not forcing landlords to rent to people on Section 8 housing regardless, then how is it affected by this bill? If the, if the Louisville law that she's defending 
isn't forcing people. She said, it doesn't force you to enroll in Section 8 housing. Well, then you don't have to worry about it because this bill won't apply to it. So somehow it's at the same time they're standing up to speak against the bill by saying that this bill would would get rid of Louisville's law, which doesn't force people to rent to Section 8 individuals, even though the bill is saying you can't force people to rent to Section 8 individuals. Does that make any sense to anybody else? How can you stand up and say, I'm against this bill because it will make this law gone, but oh, by the way, uh, this law doesn't force people to rent to Section 8 housing. What's that? What's your bill say again? We can't force people to rent to Section 8 housing? Well, now I can't keep this bill, this law in place I just passed in Louisville. It makes it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all what these people are trying to say. And then we have finally, clip five, Sarah Stalker once again comes back in with this beautiful piece of information unfairness of judging someone's worth, their worth, based on their source of income. Regardless of how they earn their money, all individuals deserve access to safe and decent and affordable housing. This is a matter of economic justice and a fundamental human right. First off, um, it is not a fundamental human right. You cannot have a right. I'll say the thing. I'll say the thing nobody else will say. I'll say the thing no other Republican will say. But you cannot have a right to something that is provided to you by somebody else. You just can't have it. That right doesn't exist. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Absolutely, you should be able to look at what somebody, how they earn their money to decide whether or not they're worth renting to. I mean, under the same argument, you would say that a person who's a prostitute has the same quote unquote value as a hardworking blue collar construction worker to society. Objectively, they don't. Objectively, they have a different worth. They just do. I didn't write the rules. I'm just pointing them out. Objectively, one is worth less to society than the other. It just is. And you don't, and neither one of them though, have a right to somebody else's stuff. You never had a fundamental human right to another person's labor. Well, y'all, that's what we got time for today on the Andrew Cooper Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining me. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.